0: If you have a Bible with you this morning, I would invite you to turn with me again to the book of Colossians. We are spending a few weeks in Colossians, and today we find ourselves in chapter 1, beginning of verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 5. And you're with, if you're with us today and able, I'd invite you to stand with me in honor of the Lord's word as we look at, first, at Colossians 1, 24. The Apostle Paul writes, Now I'm happy to be suffering for you. I'm completing what is missing from Christ's sufferings with my own body. I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. I became a servant of the church by God's commission, which was given to me for you in order to complete God's word. I'm completing it with a secret plan that has been hidden for ages and generations, but which has now been revealed to his holy people. God wanted to make the glorious riches of the secret plan known among the Gentiles which is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. This is what we preach as we warn and teach every person with all wisdom so that we might present each one mature in Christ. I work hard and struggle for this goal with his energy, which works in me powerfully. I want you to know how much I struggle for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who haven't known me personally. My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love, so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding, so that they might have the knowledge of the secret plan of God, namely Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. I'm telling you this so that no one deceives you with convincing arguments, because even though I am absent physically, I'm with you in spirit. I'm happy to see the discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Oh, it is so good to see you this morning, and I know it has been a busy uh, couple of weeks, and so thanks for everybody who's helped with the Utah Mission Project, with Vacation Bible School out at Middleton a couple weeks ago, Vacation Bible School here this week, and a lot of other things going on. I know Pastor Brent's down under. He's in Australia, or New Zealand. Is he in Australia or New Zealand? Australia first, then New Zealand. Pastor Diane was preaching at camp meeting this week. I was preaching at a camp meeting in Missouri. So this is my eighth sermon this week. Um, And the best one, I promise. Um, But last week I was missing you so much. I I, I actually preached at a church in St. Louis last Sunday morning. Um, But I was headed to Missouri camp meeting, which started last Sunday night. And uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know it's kind of wild travel time right now. And so I had booked a ticket uh, to fly to St. Louis last Saturday morning uh, fairly early so I could get there in time and kind of uh, hang out in St. Louis a little bit during Saturday afternoon. Um, But I got a text message early in the morning from Delta Airlines saying, hey, your flight has been canceled, but no problem. We have you rebooked about 12.30, 1 o'clock on another flight. You won't get in until 8 or so um, to St. Louis now, but but it's fine. You'll be there. Um, So I have you at 1. So Deb took me to the airport. I got there about, you know, about noon already. And uh, the plane was there. And so I thought, oh, this is good. Uh, But then they came on the intercom and said, hey, uh, as you noticed, the plane is here. It's unloaded. We have pilots. We have one attendant. Um, And we can't fly without two or three. Uh, But it's Okay. Uh, we've called an attendant from here in Boise, and they're going to be here in 30 minutes or so. You're going to be delayed half an hour, but I had a three-hour layover in Minneapolis, so I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, it's no problem. Uh, we'll be fine. Uh, about 30 minutes later, they come on the intercom and said, um, strange, but <laughs> the attendant was on their way here. They got in a traffic accident, and they're no longer cleared to fly. But, hey, we're flying in an attendant from, Del- from Denver. They'll be here in three hours. Um... You know, so I knew. Well, okay, there it went. So then I had to make this decision, and long story short, I ended up in Minneapolis at midnight uh, on Saturday night. I spent the night. They couldn't get my luggage off the plane, so I stayed in a hotel for just a few hours to catch a very early morning flight from Minneapolis to St. Louis, and so I got there just in time to get off the plane, grab a rental car. Um, Speed to this church that I was speaking at, St. Louis. I hadn't had my luggage that night, so I had showered, but uh, you have only known me with gel in my hair. It's scary (laughs) without that. Uh, Hair everywhere, kind of dragging breath, and uh, the clothes I'd been wearing for 24 hours now. And so, so thankfully, I noticed on the clock I had about 12 minutes left. And so I pulled into this quick stop uh, gas station, went into the bathroom... Uh, found something that wasn't wrinkled, put it on, brushed my teeth, put gel in my hair, looked a little less scary, got back in the car, sped over to this church with about three minutes to spare before church started. It was the first Sunday of their pastor's sabbatical, and they were panicking, but I walked in right on time,
1: <laughs>
0: I preached, uh, I don't know what. But anyway, um, but then I spent a great week at camping. But I made it home fine yesterday, and it's just uh, it's delightful to get to be with you today. This morning, I, I would love to think about... Um, What Paul has to say in this very interesting text, largely, and we get into one of these places where Paul is addressing some concerns that it looks like he has heard from the Colossians about him. And as we think about this this morning, let me kind of state something that's obvious for all of us who are part of a market culture, and that is that that there are people who who we want to follow and who can help us in various aspects of our life, but But before we're going to put time and money into various ventures and listen to various people, we want them to have some history of success. So for example, um, I need financial advice and we take financial advice from people who hopefully have made money and done well financially and and have done that honestly and done that ways that we can replicate. And so we might even invest and, and take their wisdom and pay for that wisdom if we can trust them and know that they will help us in those ways. And and we need family advice from time to time and and so we go looking rightly for people to give that advice who hopefully themselves have healthy family relationships and have healthy relationships and and we might pay to read their books or sign up for counseling i look for and seek leadership advice from people in leadership who have pastored healthy congregations and and if i can find those folks i will download their podcasts and i will attend their seminars some of you know I, I kind of like golf, and I, I will take swing advice from someone who has proven that they can play well um, professionally, or at least they've, they've demonstrated they can teach others to play well. And, and I might subscribe to their video lessons or even pay for their instruction, which brings us to the problem in, that the Colossians are facing. And that is, why in the world should they take spiritual life advice from somebody they've never met, A, and somebody who is writing them from prison in Ephesus? Like, what kind of credibility should we give to this guy who is constantly in trouble with the authorities? And and what's so great about this guy, Paul's life, that somehow we might want to not only listen to him, but maybe emulate his life and discipleship? So Paul's addressing some of those concerns in this text. And And he doesn't seem really offended by this question, um, but rather he sees that what he is actually going through as a necessary part of his leadership and as an essential part of what he's inviting the Colossians to live into also. In fact, in some ways, even this aspect of their life might be relived in them as well. Now, to get at that, I want to talk a little bit about the significance of this weekend. And I I have to say to you... um, but don't tell anybody, um, I always find this the most difficult Sunday of the year to preach. Um, and part of that is it's Independence Day weekend. Um, and so tomorrow we'll celebrate the 4th of July. And I always find a little bit of conflict in that as a minister, because on the one hand, um, I'm really excited for tomorrow and hot dogs and the whole works and having uh, fireworks and the whole thing. Um, And I am so appreciative for the freedoms that we have and for the uniqueness of this place that we live. And rightly, we should be grateful for that, thankful for that, um, even give praise to God for that. Think seriously about that. But the challenge is always, how do we do that as God's people when we're gathering not necessarily as Americans today, but we're gathering as the unique global people of God, the body of Christ in the world. And so how do we both celebrate that, but also recognize that, We have these split allegiances, if you will. Are you you with me? And so I always find it kind of challenging. And so usually what I do is just completely ignore it um, and see if anybody notices. And usually they do, but they get over it after a couple of weeks. But, um, But today I actually want to kind of meddle there, if you will, mess around a little bit. Because as I was thinking about what Paul is saying here, I was thinking about kind of the best of what we celebrate and think about As Americans during Independence Day and and during this weekend. So some of you know I I am actually a kind of student of of especially the the life of the founders and so I love and have read several biographies of folks like like Franklin and Washington. Um, Between you and me, my favorite of the founders is John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Alexander Hamilton, etc. And When I think about their life and about, this is, uh, tomorrow we'll celebrate the 246th Independence Day, uh, which is hard to believe, and the only reason I mention that is because I'm old enough to, I think I was 10 years old during the bicentennial, and when it dawned on me, oh, we're at 246, I realized somewhere there is a committee who's working really hard, right, for 2026, because I don't think I'm gonna make it to the 300th. So the 250th had better be a big deal, right? It's gonna be a big deal. but as I think about who they are, and I think about what they lived into, it's a complicated history, and it's, it's kind of messy in some ways. But at, a, at its best, when we tell that story, we tell it this way. That what the founders saw was a kind of vision for the way the world could be, and in particular, the way... A nation or a society could be with regards to rights and freedoms. And they had this picture of that kind of world, and and that picture was largely shaped by, in some ways, by Scripture and the theological inheritance that they had. But it was also shaped largely out of Enlightenment philosophy, and they were students of that kind of stuff, and a lot of that is really good to think about the uniqueness of people and, and the ways in which we should have certain rights and freedoms then. And so they they saw that. They had this picture of that kind of world, but they also realized they aren't quite that yet. And that there's all sorts of obstacles, including their own connection to a monarchy and other things that would keep that vision from, from flourishing, from being able to fully come to be. And the reason why we kind of, we honor them and think about them and a whole new generation of folks have We've gotten tuned into that thanks to Lin-Manuel Miranda and the Hamilton musical, right? And the reason we have thought about that and we, kind of, we honor that and eat hot dogs tomorrow about that is because those founders, when they signed that Declaration of Independence and when they entered into that, they were taking certain risks, certain vulnerabilities, That that vision that they wanted to see come into existence, they knew couldn't come without certain pains, without certain challenges. And for many there, and some names, unfortunately, that have been forgotten from history, some who died in that process. For they were people who were willing to say, that vision is so beautiful and compelling that we might be willing to redemptively suffer for it. And even be willing some of us to die because of it. Are are you with me? Does that make sense? Now, that gets enacted and lived and that vision becomes enacted in certain ways. But over these 250 years or so, as we celebrate that, and as we like those founders a lot, we also kind of come to it and confess that as beautiful as that vision was... It wasn't really fully complete and even some of the parts of the vision that they had they didn't really even see themselves. In particular in a couple of big ways we talk about the founders and usually we talk about the founding fathers and that was because there's it wasn't that there weren't women involved but because it was such a patriarchal society that there was a tendency when they thought about equality to not think about that implication especially for women. And so there's a whole list of other kinds of names and heroes that enter into another form of the story. People like Susan B. Anthony or Ida B. Wells or Alice Paul or Sojourner Truth, etc. In our own day, the notorious RBG. Um, if you're a fan of, if I could go back to Hamilton to be cool with the kids for a minute. Um, it's fascinating even there. There's a subversiveness in the way Manuel, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda does. This Hamilton in the form of the Schuyler sisters who when they meet Thomas Jefferson, right? We're gonna, we're gonna add women to the sequel, <laughs> right? Anyway, I got, I got Ryan to laugh and that was my whole goal right there. We're gonna add women to the sequel and, and even their role in the musical is to say they had such an important part but their part was keeping the story alive more than it was getting to participate in the story itself. And so you have all of these heroes who come along who say that vision isn't complete without another part of that vision that says there is a beauty to that vision also again shaped by scripture to some level and also shaped by thinkers that that men and women should be treated equally that there should be a dignity for women that has tended to get overlooked and rights and privileges and obligations to women that ought to be fulfilled and so So you have this group of people who who articulate that vision, but recognize here's the problem even with the old system. Old systems and old imaginations die hard. And when those new visions, those new systems come into power, people who've had power have to at least share that power. If not, in some ways lose some of that power. And so it comes with great challenge and difficulty. It does not come easily. And so you have this group of people then who not only see that vision and see the obstacles, but they themselves then become committed to taking on those sufferings. Women's suffrage. To enter into that, to participate in that in ways that then can begin to bring that new vision into fruition. And that might even be one worth risking our occupations, worth risking our our status, our place in society that might even be at some level even worth the risk of our lives to see that vision fulfilled. Are you with me? And certainly the other big part of that vision that that wasn't quite enacted that we began to recognize, hey, wait a minute. Every time we rehearse that history, we have to recognize that that vision for equality and for mutuality and for liberty really overlooked Native and African Americans that was primarily an imagination shaped by Caucasian folk. It really didn't have an imagination to know how to include people of color into that. And so a whole other group of people, a whole other group of heroes like Harriet Beecher Stowe or Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman or Rosa Parks or John Lewis or Medgar Evers or Martin Luther King Jr. Come along to, to, have this vision of civil rights. By the way, back to Hamilton. This is why it's so subversive. Not just because the Schuyler sisters are cool, but the whole cast are people of color. Living into that imagination, but that was blind to its implications for people of color. But you have these folks who then come along and have this compelling vision, shaped by prophetic words out of the scripture but also shaped by all sorts of good and healthy thinking and robust thought about what does it mean to be people who treat each other with dignity and liberty and freedoms. What does that look like for all people? And that vision becomes so compelling and so beautiful, but it also recognizes old systems die hard and old imaginations of racism don't go away easily. And it will require certain structures to be transformed, if not demolished. And it will require new systems and new imaginations and new forms of governance to enter into its place. But that's not going to come easy. But that vision is so compelling that perhaps we might even find folks who would be willing to to put at risk their occupations, their jobs, their livelihood, their security. And they would be able to enter into that even at the risk of their own lives to see that vision through redemptive suffering come into existence. Are you with me? So as I was thinking about this letter from prison Colossians this week, I couldn't help but return to King's great letter from a Birmingham jail. And I couldn't help but think of how how many similarities there were in some ways. For if you know that letter well, you know it too was written to Christians. King's letter from Birmingham jail was written to pastors in in Alabama who were concerned that this Georgian was coming in and causing trouble. And the trouble he was causing and the civil rights workers were causing had gotten them thrown into jail, but were creating unsettledness in their congregations and... Some of the civic authorities were concerned about what were the implications of the church in that society, and he is writing to them and saying to them, listen, I'm here not because I've done the wrong thing, but I'm here because I'm doing the right thing. Would you join me? (laughs) And out of that comes great language like injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Justice too long delayed is justice denied. Are you with me? So... At our best, tomorrow what we celebrate is this compelling vision of a society that embraces liberty and equality and mutuality. Some beautiful visions, some that come out of scripture, some that come out of other thinking. But it is a beautiful and compelling vision, one that we recognize doesn't come easy. And now then for generations, people have, in order to not let those visions die, have had to enter into that, whether that's Whether that's freedom as a society or equality among the genders or whether it's it's liberty and equality even for those of us with different shades of skin. And that vision is still so compelling that we might might be willing to risk and even perhaps even die for the sake of that compelling vision. And the reason I thought about that is because When Paul addresses the Colossians about their concerns, why should we listen to a guy in jail? That's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, here's why I'm in jail in Ephesus. Because I've been captured by a vision. That kid preached on it last week. (laughs) He he did okay. Actually, he did too well, and he won't be heard from in a while. Um, (laughs) last week, that powerful hymn in, in Colossians where Paul says Christ is the center of all things. This vision is cosmic, the cosmic Christ who draws all things from whom all things come, but who draws all things to himself, who makes all things new. That is the vision that compels Paul. And that is the vision that he believes the Colossians have also given themselves to. But that vision, that vision of a new creation in Christ does not come easy because for that to come, the old has to die and the old dies difficult, with difficulty. And new structures of power and new ways of thinking and new ways of handling each other, new, you know, those walls of division have to come down. There's so much that, that breaks into the old when the new comes so it doesn't come easily but it comes with challenge and it might even get Paul thrown in jail. But for Paul, that vision of that new creation is so compelling that he writes to them saying, listen, here's why I'm in jail. Even though we've never met each other, I am doing this as an advocate of the new creation. And part of the text is Paul saying, part of my hope is the empire and the powers that are so angry with this new creation will take it out on me and leave you alone. It's really powerful. I'm hoping that like Christ suffered for my sake, I might actually be able to suffer for your sake. But even, even if the Colossians themselves get pulled into this redemptive aspect of suffering, Paul is hopeful, and here's the key line in the text, that they have been captured by this vision, the hope of glory, Christ in them. And that that vision will be so compelling that they too would be willing to risk, position, position, and place, and security, and perhaps even life itself. For the birth pangs of this new creation to be able to come, and for the new to be born in their midst. It's powerful. For part of what we celebrate this weekend is Really, as people, we don't have a great reason to live until we have a compelling vision worth giving our lives for. And as much as what we celebrate tomorrow has some really powerful parts of it, and I do think is worthy of, of giving much of our life to, part of what we are celebrating this morning is an even bigger vision of a new creation that invites us to take up our cross and to follow Him That is the only story full enough and big enough and redemptive enough to be worthy of the gift of the life that God has given to us to be risked for it. And so this morning, we we close around a table. As we think about Paul and redemptive suffering this morning, I recognize that we, every Sunday when we come, we come as sufferers in some way. Um, sometimes we come and we're suffering because our bodies aren't great. Um, When I was watching those kids up here doing their thing, right? Some of them are really doing it well. I was so jealous of their youthfulness. That would take so much Advil for me to recover from now. Right? And for some of you, there's not enough Advil in the world. (laughs) We couldn't get you up here, let alone get you down from here after it was over. And so we come and suffer because we're frail and fragile. Sometimes we come because we're suffering the consequences of our sin. The good news is God knows that. It means we're not ashamed of that. For we know that grace meets us in those sufferings and, and there's grace that meets us in those kinds of sufferings. Sometimes we come and we bring suffering because we bring the suffering of the sins others have committed against us, which is no less painful. In fact, in some ways, maybe more at times. But we do that knowing that this is a broken Lord who is not unacquainted with our shame. And who also meets us then in those sufferings. But you know, those kind of come and go. Some weeks as we gather together, you may be feeling pretty good this week. And your body's working okay. And the life that you're living with God is in such a kind of harmony. And circumstances are kind of okay today. And the brokenness with others has been held at bay a little bit. But if you've listened well this morning, Paul invites us always to come as those who do, in a sense, always suffer. Because the new creation does not come easily, for the old does not die quickly. Every Sunday, we're invited to come and have our heart broken for the fact that it is not yet what it ought to be. And therefore be compelled by love to pray and to work and to anticipate and to live into the birth pangs of the coming of this new creation. And so we come this morning gathered around the table, not just bringing our sufferings, but invited to take on his. For a vision that's so compelling that we might be willing to suffer loss of place, loss of security, and perhaps even life itself, to see a new creation come that no one can take away. And so God help us this morning as we gather around this table. We come with various sufferings and you meet us there. But this morning we come around this table as people completing your sufferings, Compelled by a vision of a new creation that is so great and yet we realize it is still not here. But we are a people who have been captured by the hope of glory, Christ in us. And therefore we are willing to participate and to take up our cross to live into broken body and shed blood for the sake of this new creation. And so teach us this morning how to suffer in the hope of your new creation. And as we partake of this meal today, make us what we eat today. Make us the broken body of Christ for the sake of the world. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Some folks are going to come and help us this morning. If you're new to us, uh, there's no membership required to participate in the Lord's Supper today. Only an awareness that you need God's grace in your life. But as the elements go by this morning, if you would hang on to them, we will pray a prayer of blessing over them and then um, take that meal together. Uh, but would love for you to join us this morning as we gather around the Lord's table. let sing together as we participate. Mm-hmm.
1: So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as His bride.
0: we share
1: in his sufferings we proclaim Elements in front of you,
0: let me pray a prayer of blessing. God, we hold in our hands very common things bread and cup. And yet, in them is a picture of a new creation where sin has not had the last word, and darkness has not had the last word, and evil has not had the last word, and death itself has been overcome. It is a vision in which you have placed in our hearts the hope of glory, Christ in us. It compels us and draws us and and we come to invite you to make it real in us today. But what we hold in our hands reminds us that it is not yet here And that it may very well, in fact, it will indeed invite us to participate in the completion of the sufferings necessary for the new to come. And so even though we have all sorts of other sufferings in our life, we come willing to say we will participate. Make us what we eat today. Make us the loving and broken body of Christ for the sake of the world. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread. He lifted it up. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take and eat that bread this morning in remembrance of the one who made things new through his sufferings. When supper was over. He took the cup. He blessed it. And he said, This is my blood poured out for you to preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us take and drink this life to which we are invited. Let us drink in remembrance of Him today. May it be so. Make us the body of Christ for the sake of the world. And God's people said, Amen. Would you stand with me? I would love for us to close with a song that really is a a prayer that recognizes the calling of our life means that there may be profound blessings, but there also may be moments of great suffering. He gives and takes away, but the vision that we are compelled to is the hope within us, Christ in us. And So we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's sing it together.
1: it be your glorious day oh bless be the name of the lord bless it be your name bless be the name of the lord bless be your glorious
0: day amen just our voices together If you've listened well this morning, um, have a great time tomorrow. Um, As a people, there's some giftedness that we've been handed, compelling visions of a kind of life um, that's worth us struggling and making sure it stays there. But you and I, as God's people, have been given an amazing eternal vision (laughs) uh, that compels us and draws us to give ourselves for it. And so celebrate. Come back with all your fingers next week, though. Um, be careful. But as we're sent into the world, we're sent to see all of those places where the new creation is still struggling to break in and to be willing to participate there. So now unto him who by that power at work within us, that hope of glory. May he be glorified in us, this people he calls his church and in His Son, Christ Jesus, now and for all generations. And all God's people said, Amen. Go in His peace.